Welcome to the Homeschool with Moxie podcast, where our goal is to inspire and encourage you with actionable strategies to take you from overwhelmed to confident in your homeschool adventure. I'm your host, Abby Banks, and this is episode 234. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Notebooking Pages. Do you know that you can actually put away the boring books and the complicated curriculum and learning can be enjoyable? Notebooking is the most simple, engaging, and effective way to create lifelong learners without having to get some fancy or complicated curriculum or without using those dry, stuffy textbooks. You can download 3,000 free notebooking pages from our friends at notebookingpages.com and give them a try in your homeschool and see what a difference they can make. Use my link at 41more.com forward slash notebooking to grab your free pages and a quick start guide that walks you through how you can use notebooking to simplify your homeschool. That's 41more.com forward slash notebooking. Welcome to episode 234. You can find the show notes at 41more.com forward slash 234. Today, I thought I would do a review of the series, Who, What, Why. These are books written by my friend, Danica Cooley. You might know her from Thinking Kids Press. And um, she, uh, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, she came out with three books for kids about the Reformation. And I will link to the review we did of those books. And now she just came out with three more books in the Who, What, Why series. And they're all about slavery, abolition, the Underground Railroad, and they're perfect for your kids ages 9 through 11. So I thought we'd walk through some of those, tell you about resources you can get for free to use with them, and also my personal connection to the Underground Railroad. As I was looking through her book, I thought, that is so neat. I sometimes feel like it's so neat. I have a personal connection to it, and I want to tell you about that. So I think you'll be, I think you'll find it interesting too. And it's a cool story that you can tell your kids to help explain how exactly the Underground Railroad worked. So let's talk through that. And of course, you can find her books. We will give you a really easy way to find them. If you want to use my referral link, you can go to 41more.com forward slash underground, and it will take you right to her page where on her blog, you can actually download free lap books so that you could use these books as a really great extra resource, or it could be your main history for some of your nine through 11 year olds. This might take, you know, several months to work through reading them, studying, doing some deep dives, taking some, um, really interesting rabbit trails into like the people and the places and the events that you learn about in this book. And then if you use Danica's uh, lap books that she's providing for free, you have a really great way to study through this book in a hands-on way, study through these three books in a hands-on way. So let's dive into what this who, what, why series is all about, kind of the worldview perspective it's written from, who it would be great for. And then let me give you a little snippet about each book so that you know, because Granted, this is a this is a tough topic, right? Talking about slavery with nine to eleven year olds, but doing it from a Christian worldview perspective. So let me dive into the background of this series. So I know when we talk about this topic, especially from a Christian worldview, we can get sometimes stuck with the question, what were Christians doing in the modern era to combat slavery? Because we know that 
you know, people that claimed to be Christians were on both sides of this slavery conflict. And so that can be a really sticky question to get. And sometimes we don't really know what the answer is, but I love how in these books, Danica actually anticipates some of the really hard gotcha questions that people are going to ask and she answers them. So if you're kind of worried about, well, how is that going to work out? This, these books actually anticipate the hard questions and they go ahead and talk about them. You know, was God still in control even when slavery was legal in the United States? You know, how does loving God spur us on as Christians, even in our own culture, to combat evil? And it's so it's really challenging. These are not just like, um, books filled with historical fact, although they are, but they really do challenge the reader spiritually and from a Christian perspective of, okay, if you say you love God and others, how is that affecting your life? And guess what? You're in this point in history to make a difference. And so these are, these are great books for your nine to 11 year olds. Now, um, it's also really encouraging that Danica uses these books to trace the role that specific Christians play in confronting this evil at their time. And so it is an encouragement to know that God places us right where he wants us, like the book of Esther for such a time as this. And so that's a hopeful message because the topic of slavery can be very discouraging. It can be very negative. It can be very challenging, but these books remain hopeful as Danica walks through how your kids, you know, can realize God can use them in amazing ways in their own culture because we have our own evil going on in the world still. And so I think it's a great way to talk about these evils with also a hopeful message. So Danica Cooley is from Thinking Kids Press. And like I said, she already wrote books about the Reformation. And so these are her newest installment. And they're only about just under 100 pages each. They include black and white illustrations, um, depending on your kid's reading level, you might want to, you know, need to read them with them. Some of your kids will be able to tackle them on their own, but on my, um, show notes page, I'm also going to put a video flip through because I know it's helpful sometimes to see kind of what the reading levels like and to just to see what the books look like inside. So I wanted to do that video for you as well. So you can find that at four, one more.com forward slash two thirty four. So let me first tell you about the book, Who Were the Abolitionists? So Danica does not approach this story of 10 specific abolitionists from this purely historical perspective. That's what I already mentioned, right? She gets to the heart of the matter and really shows how these Christian abolitionists were motivated by truth they knew from the word of God. And so she talks about how each of these heroes used their unique gifts to address the injustice of slavery. And she draws on the biblical story of Esther how God placed Esther in a unique position of influence for such a time as this, and how these abolitionists and the reader, which is your child, has been placed uniquely in history by God's providence. You know, Danica calls out the evil of sin and the evil of slavery, and she talks about how one sin leads to another's another, and enslaved families are broken apart because of the sin of slavery. And she doesn't, you know, mince any words about any of this. But she does end the book with this challenge to realize that God is in control over history and he is providentially leading each of us to make a difference in our culture. So you'll find 10 different abolitionist heroes of the 18th or 19th century. Some you will have heard of, some you will not have heard of. And so, you know, there's everyone from 
Sojourner Truth, Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, to, and William Wilberforce, two people you might not have heard of, Granville Sharp, uh, Zachary McCauley, like different people that are not as well known. So she goes through 10 different people and shows how they each made a difference in their culture. The next book in this series is What Was the Underground Railroad? And so Danica begins this particular book with helpful explanation of what this system was, what it looked like, and how it, call, it came to be known as the Underground Railroad. But she she just dives into the hard questions, like I already mentioned. You know, where were the Christians on both sides of the issue? Why were they some of them supporting slavery. And then are Christians allowed to disobey laws in order to do right? I mean, we're still figuring out that answer today, aren't we? So, you know, is it ever right for Christians to disobey what is legal? And so she dives right into that. But the author challenges the reader to always go to the Bible for answers. And she goes back in biblical history and talks about Peter and the apostles boldly proclaiming they must obey God when the laws of the land go against God's laws. So she's always going back to what does the Bible say? And so she walks through the history of the 1800s, the Fugitive Slave Law and the Underground Railroad, and talks through people like Arnold Gregston, who is more obscure, to someone like Harriet Tubman, who we know about, but talks about how each person had their role in the Underground Railroad. And she pulls all the threads together to highlight how God used ordinary people to change history. And I love the emphasis of the book. So that is what was the Underground Railroad. Your kids are going to love it. And now let's talk about the very last one before I tell you about my personal connection to the Underground Railroad. The final book in this series is Why Did Slavery End? And as I was thinking about, wow, the just what it took to write a book for kids on slavery from a Christian worldview, it took a lot of care, I'm sure. And Danica did a really great job, in my opinion, of emphasizing the inherent worth in all people because we're made in God's image. And she really is very gentle and age appropriate with talking about slavery, but she calls it what it is. And she uses the her biblically infused worldview lens to give her explanations. So for example, here's like one one sentence or two from the book, just so you wonder how does she address this? She says on page seven, we are going to look at an ugly sin that was ignored, not just for days, but centuries. However, God's people loved their neighbors and their neighborly love changed history. So it's very positive, but it's very um, truthful. Um, here's another way she describes the practice of slavery, just so you're in case you're wondering for your kids and like, how is this approached? This is also on page seven. She says, even though God created us to love each other, some wicked people kidnapped other people and forced them to work. We call that slavery. Slavery hurts human beings. And then Danica does go through and reminds the readers that slavery has existed for all of human history. We know Joseph was sold into Egypt as a slave, and then Africa has had slavery. Um, the British and Irish have been enslaved, Greeks and Romans enslaved people. And she doesn't even stop there. She even goes into the 20th century, talks about slavery in different parts of Europe, like the Russians and the Gulag. And so, I mean, she doesn't just say this is one thing that happened at one point in history. She really talks about the evil of it, you know, going through all of human history. 
Um, and then of course, what I love too, like I said already too many times, is it's just not just a book with historical facts. This is the date. This is what happened. This is how it historically played out. But she actually dives into a theological explanation of the Imago Dei, which is the image of God, and a whole chapter of that for your 9 through 11-year-old kids. And I thought, this is awesome because kids aren't too young to study theology and doctrine. And you have to have, I mean, everyone's coming to this topic with their own worldview. And so we can't just give our kids the facts and say, this is the date and this is the civil war and this is how it ended legally. We have to talk about the theological basis for people's decisions and then the consequences of that theological and worldview basis. I find it a really helpful approach for kids, um, to this topic that can be really hard to talk about. At the end of the book, towards the end, on page 68 to 69, she addresses the hidden sins of the heart of Christians during the Civil War, the ones who defended slavery. So for example, here's how she addresses that. She says, in fact, knowing God's word keeps us from making up strange or even wicked definitions for important words like justice and kindness, like the plantation owners and government officials did during the time of slavery. And then a few sentences later, she says, the wonderful thing is that when you love and seek Jesus, the Holy Spirit will grow the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And so there's a hopeful truth that she ends with that in the end, Jesus is the Messiah. He has come to set us free from slavery to sin. That's actually the worst kind of slavery. And she uses this picture of this evil happening in our world to get to the spiritual implications too of We all need a savior from the slavery of sin. And so that is how this series is, um, you know, how it's written, how it's approached. It's very much infused with a biblical worldview. It's woven throughout so that it's not just a history uh, living book, but it also, you know, has a lot of theology in it brings you back to the Bible and says, why is this wrong? Why is this right? Why are Christians doing this in this instance? And it gives us examples. It gives your kids heroes to follow of ordinary people in the modern era who saw injustice in their culture and did the right thing and made a difference and loved their neighbor as they're told to. So I think it's a very hopeful yet challenging set of books that gives inspiration to your kids that they can be the same thing in their wicked culture and they can influence the world for the gospel. And so that is a little peek into the Who, What, Why series. Don't forget that I mentioned you can get free lap books. And if you go to my link at 41more.com forward slash underground, it will take you right there for your free printable lap books. Now, I want to tell you an interesting tidbit about the Underground Railroad that you might not have realized and also how it um, how it's connected to my personal story and my personal history. I know a lot of us, when we learned about the Underground Railroad in school, and when we teach it to our kids, maybe we don't really understand how it worked. We know that the slaves were hidden and like by safe people or safe houses. They were hidden during the day, and then they were able to travel at night. They were slaves were trying to get further north and, you know, into the north or into Canada where they would be free. But if you've never stopped to think about how did it 
actually work? Where did they hide? Were they just sitting in someone's living room? You know, did they just sit in the house? Like, where did they hide? Well, um, when I was growing up, I lived all my life until I went off to college and got married in a house that was built in, I'm going to say the 1750s in Chester County, Pennsylvania. So Chester County is down the bottom right-hand corner of Pennsylvania, pretty close to Philadelphia, like 45 minutes out of Philadelphia or so. But um, it's a very old area, of course. This was one of the, you know, that it was settled very early on. And the house I grew up in, like I said, was 250 years old. It always made us so proud, my sister and I, to live in that house because of the history. We learned by looking into this, my mom and my sister and I would go to the historical society when we were younger and research who owned our house and look into these people. It was so interesting. Well, back in during the Civil War era, uh, the people that lived in our house were Quakers. And there was a big Quaker presence, obviously, in Pennsylvania. And so the Quaker family that lived in our house were part of the Underground Railroad. And they actually used our house as a safe house in the Underground Railroad system. And you might say, well, like, how did that actually work? Well, as you know, a lot of older houses that have been around since the 1700s, they were smaller originally. So maybe they had a main room or two downstairs. And then, you know, maybe if they had a second floor, then they had a bedroom or two upstairs and that was it. But over time, of course, people build on to the house. And by the time I lived in it, you know, it was much bigger than, of course, 250 years before that. And so originally the house had a well in the backyard. Clearly everyone would have had a well back then. And the way that the people that lived in my house were able to hide slaves is the slaves would get onto that rope that was holding onto the bucket that went down into the well and they would go down into the well. And at some point in the rock wall of that well, someone had dug out a safe room, you know, well above the water level, obviously, but they had dug out a room that you could only access almost like a cave, right? Like just out of the dirt, just under the ground. But the only way you could access it is going down the well onto this rope and then like swinging into this room. And this is where the slaves were hidden during the day. And then at night they would come back up the well and they would be on their way to the North. And I think that's so amazing because what a great idea, right? No one would ever guess that the slaves were hiding down in the well in this little safe room off the side of the well shaft. And so as it, as it would happen, of course, years and years later, you know, they eventually built more of our house over that original well. And so when I was a kid, that room, that hidden room that was in the well was actually accessible through our basement. Now, a basement in a house built in the 1750s is not finished. It doesn't have a floor. It's a dirt basement and it's very like primitive. So I mean, it's rock and dirt and it's just very primitive. It's clearly a very old basement. It's not anywhere you would ever put a chair and sit down there. It's just for storing stuff. Um, but we could get to this hidden room that used to be, you know, in the well, we could get to it. It was under our house at this point and we could see it. And my dad at some point even recovered a wooden bucket 
that was in pieces by the time he picked it up, I'm going to say in the seventies or the eighties. And, um, I have this wooden bucket in my house, even right now, just a few feet of, from where I'm talking to you. And this thing was, you know, maybe used during the time that the slaves were hiding in our well. So I've always been so proud of that. It's kind of cool to live in a historical house and to have a story like that to tell. I've always been proud of the Quakers that lived in there hundreds of years before I was born and for the role they played. I just wonder about the individual slaves that came through our property, hid in our well, and then where did they end up? And, you know, did they make it to Canada? Did they settle in upstate New York? I just don't know. Where did they go? But it's such it's so fun. And I think this is part of why I wanted to go to college and become a history teacher was because, um, it, history is so interesting with the personal stories. Sometimes it, when kids are only learning the dry facts, that's when history's boring. And they're like, this is just who cares. But when you put personal stories to it, which is also what Danica did with her series. She really put a name and a face to all these struggles and triumphs in the time of abolition. When you can put personal faces and stories to these events, it makes history come alive. And so I think that's maybe, maybe that's the um, moral of the story here is for such a time as this, you know, the Quakers that lived in my house, they did what they could with their property and their ability to help whoever, you know, came looking for a safe hiding place. That's the story of the abolitionists in these books. That's the story of people in the Old Testament and Esther and, you know, people that were used by God in their position to make a difference and to fight against the evil in their culture. That is so motivating. And I know it can feel hard to be raising kids right now in this evil culture. And we think, oh, this is a horrible time in history to be raising children. But then I'm always reminded, nope, this is the time they're supposed to be alive. And if we can raise them to realize they need God's word, they need to know it's biblical, they need a solid worldview, they need a solid theological foundation, And then we need to encourage them to use their gifts to make a difference in this wicked culture because it's not going to get any better, is it? So I encourage you to pick up these books, grab the lap books, check them out. Remember, you can use my link at 41more.com forward slash underground, and it will take you to Danica's site where you can get that. Or I will link to everything in the show notes at 41more.com forward slash 234. Thanks for listening today and letting me tell you my personal story about the Underground Railroad. And I hope you've been encouraged to check out this set of books, the Who, What, Why series, which you can find at 41more.com forward slash 234 in the show notes. Thanks for joining us today. And in the meantime, happy homeschooling.